Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another post-game episode here on Dime Dropper, although technically this might as well be pre-game because... What's up, Jason? Shout out to everybody in the live. Um, might as well be pre-game, though, but I am talking about games that have happened because, as you know, I haven't been live since my the video I released about our season. If you haven't checked that out, go check it out when you have time. I, I poured, out my, poured out all my emotions from the season, but as you can see, tonight we are going to talk about a couple of different games. Sorry for I just knocked my mic a little bit. Ugh. But um, remember, before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper. Hit the notification bell so you know every time I go live. And also, this can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And follow me on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. So for this episode, we got a little agenda. We're going to try to do it before this Warriors-Kings Game 6 tips off. And I'm going to start with Lakers-Grizzlies because obviously, LA Sports Channel. So we're going to go with the Lakers first. Then we're going to go to the main event which was Milwaukee's elimination at the hands of Miami. Oh, my God. We got a lot to say about that. And then I will talk about Warriors-Kings Game 5, and then a little bit of Knicks-Cavs Game 5, and then we'll end with the Celtics Games 5 and 6. Uh, I hope to do it as quick as possible, but let's start with the Lakers. And again, I want to apologize if I'm not making eye contact with you guys as much and I'm looking around. That's because I'm looking at my phone so I, my computer doesn't overheat. Because it's been heating up like a sauna lately. So let's uh, let's uh, let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. So let's get right into it, starting with the Lakers and the Grizzlies. Obviously, this was one of those classic games that, you know, you had a desperate team. A team that had to, you know, win to keep their season alive. And they played with that level of desperation on both ends of the floor in Memphis. And you like to see that from them. You know, a gritty team, but also just a team that plays really, really hard every game. And I don't think the Lakers slacked off. They had it competitive for about three quarters. And then Memphis closed that third quarter with a flurry of threes. And they just pushed the pace off Laker misses and kind of blew the doors open. And LeBron James was not good in this game. This You could clearly see that he has... I mean, it's obvious that he's aged, but... He had nothing left in the tank after Game 4. Now, the good news for the Lakers is Anthony Davis was a beast. But you'd hope, given the way that the series has gone, AD seems to have one good game, one bad game. Is he due for a bad game? Because he hasn't played well in the even-numbered games, 2 and 4. So does that mean he's bad in Game 6? I don't think they're going to need a big-time AD game to close this out. But the guys, the two guys mainly for Memphis that really stepped it up, and this was a game of runs. Like The, the Grizzlies were up like the whole first half. Then the Lakers cut it down to 9 at halftime. And then in the third quarter, D'Angelo Russell started hitting some shots. But besides Austin Reeves and Anthony Davis, I mean, there was nothing there for the Lakers. Hachimura was pretty efficient off the bench again, 9 points, 4 for 8. 
But Wenyan Gabriel, three points. Troy Brown, a donut. Dennis Schroeder, 19 minutes, a donut. So as much as I think Dennis Schroeder is a somewhat unfairly criticized Laker, this thing about scoring zero points in playoff games has to come to an end if they want any chance of winning this championship. Malik Beasley, six points, two for six. All his shots were threes. They got a grand total of 18 points off the bench. So I know that there's been a topic of conversation for Laker fans. Do you put Max Christie in? Do you give Lonnie Walker more minutes because you only got five and Malik Beasley hasn't been good? It's food for thought, but at the end of the day, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and D'Angelo Russell are going to dictate this series. You're talking about guys that are playing 10 to 20 minutes, if that. It's going to come down to D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, LeBron James, and AD. And in this game, LeBron was just chucking threes left and right and bricking every single one. It just, it was clear he was saving it for game six. But let's not take away from what Memphis did. And John Morant and Desmond Bain. They played with that sense of desperation. The way John Morant attacks the basket, especially against AD, there are not many guys in the league that will attack Anthony Davis like that. John Morant is a beast. I mean, he's incredible going to the basket. Now, Desmond Bain was the guy that started out this series slowly. They needed a great game from him, and they finally got one. He was killing in drop coverage. He was killing with the three ball. And the thing is, when he started to respect the mid-range, or the Lakers started to respect his mid-range, AD started hedging those screens. He didn't drop anymore, and then it got them in positions for four-on-three situations. Now, Luke Kennard hurt his shoulder. I don't know his status for game six, but I really hope that they have him just because I love Luke Kennard, and um, it still pains me that we let him go. And he's an incredible three-point shooter, and he's been really solid in this series. This has definitely been the best playoff series of his career, bar none, so far. But it was the Desmond Bain and John Morant show. They scored 30 each to keep their season alive. They blew the doors open at the end of the third quarter when LeBron off the floor. And that was that. The Grizzlies won it 116-99. to 99. As for the starters for the Lakers, D'Angelo Russell, 11 points, 10 assists, 4 for 11 from the field. Um, that's not going to get it done. 11 points is not going to get it done. I like the double, you know, the double double, but not good enough. Austin Reeves, 17 points, eight rebounds, six assists, a nice all-around game, but four for 13 from the field, three for eight from deep, but only one for five from two. Not great for Austin Reeves. Got to give credit though to the Memphis defense was good in Game Five, and then LeBron James, 15 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists. That's to go along with five turnovers on five for 17 shooting and one for nine from three. It just, he didn't really come to play. Let's let's put it that way. But I think he is saving the tank for game six. So if you don't see a great LeBron uh, tonight, then we'll start talking. But until then, he's I think he's got it. How about Anthony Davis, though? 31 points and nine rebounds on 14 for 23 shooting only one for three from deep and I'm I like it when he doesn't shoot that many threes but only three free throw attempts made two of them Lakers were 15 for 20 from the line Grizzlies 14 for 17 so not much of a disparity there but AD 31 and 19 that's 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 more like it Memphis they didn't actually get that much off the bench either only 18 points but as for their starters again Dylan Brooks like is he gonna have one game where he actually shoots well this is insane He's so broke, dude. Eight points, three for 15 from the field, 20%, and then two for 10 from uh, deep. So, I mean, the guy is just, he's broke, dude. Xavier Tillman, 8.6 rebounds, four assists. I have to say I'm very impressed with Xavier Tillman's passing in the short role. He's really shown me a lot this series. As I said, I think... 
whenever he's a free agent, I don't know what his contract situation is, but he's going to get money, just like Nas Reed is going to get money. Jaron Jackson Jr., he's been super, super solid all series. I think this has been much better series than the last than last year uh, or the end against Utah. 18 points, 10 boards for him. Nice double-double, two blocks and a steal, five for 11 from the field, two for five from deep. And then John Morant and Desmond Bain, starting with Desmond Bain, 33 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, 12 for 21 from the field, four for nine from deep. I mean, the guy was lights out for him to also grab 10 rebounds, doing other things besides scoring as well. John Morant. 31 points, 10 rebounds, 7 dimes, 13 for 26 from the field, 50%, and 5 threes shot. He made two of them. You got to love the aggression of John Morant. 21 twos shot for him, and he shot a great percentage on him. So the Grizzlies survived to see another day, but right now it's going according to script for the Lakers. They got to close this shit out tonight. Tonight. If they don't, they're in huge trouble going back to Memphis because there's something about this Grizzlies team. They are going to fight. Like John Morant, he's not just going to go down easily. So they got to bring it. I think they will. It's going to be a loud crowd at the Stable Center tonight. They're fired up. Haven't been in the second round, you know, in a normal season since 2012. So we'll see. Now, oh boy, I've been waiting to talk about this one. Miami and Milwaukee. I can't believe that the Bucks have been eliminated in the first round. Nuggets and Sonics in 94. Knicks and Heat in 99. Obviously, those are the two that I didn't get to see. The We Believe Warriors in 07. The Grizzlies beating the Spurs. The Sixers beating the Bulls. But, of course, Derrick Rose tearing his ACL in Game 1. And now we have a sixth added to the list. And I'm not going to lie. Of all of them that I've experienced... This was the most shocking. I'll tell you why. Believe it or not, my eight-year-old self, when the Clippers were battling for that eighth seed with Golden State, I still believed the regular season was more important than it actually was. I took regular, as a little kid, like I took the season series seriously. And I remember Golden State having a good matchup with Dallas. Not to say that I picked them, but I said it was going to go six games. I remember saying that when I was eight years old. It's going to go six games, the Mavs are going to win. Every... Uh, and against Memphis San Antonio, I was shocked that the Spurs lost. But remember, Manu was hurt. I had a lot of confidence that Memphis would make it a good series. I said six there. But this is the only one of those. And then the Derrick Rose when he got hurt, so you can't say anything there. This is the only one where I had the home team, the higher seed, winning in five games or less. And just because the, the Bucks are battle-tested, like they won the championship, and Chris Middleton played so well. Like, I get Giannis missed a couple games, but we're not going to make excuses. If they had lost the series, it's one thing, but they lost in five, and they didn't win a game with Giannis. And Giannis looked pretty good to me health-wise. I know people were saying his back was hurt. He probably wasn't 100%, but he was good enough to still look like Giannis. And let's not act like this guy was shooting the ball well this season from outside the key. This guy's jumper, I heard about it early in the season that it seemed like it regressed. I didn't want to acknowledge it because I wanted to see him in the playoffs and see if it showed up. And I don't want to think that somebody is declining. You know, Giannis is a beast. He's been improving every single year. Although I will say I didn't notice much improvement last year. Only in his confidence, but not in his actual skill. And this year, I'm going to get into it in a second. But he comes back. I talked about game four, generational game from Jimmy. I mean, historic. But you're at home now. you got to win. 
And I got to give the Miami Heat a ton of credit. They did not just say, all right, you know, these guys are going to come out hungry. We'll see them in game six back at the crib. Nah, they were pushing it from the beginning, really trying to make sure that this ended right there. And Jimmy Butler, I mean, set the tone, of course. But the the Heat's three-point shooting, I've never seen a team that was so poor shooting the ball in the regular season, so average offensively, shoot the ball so well from deep out of nowhere in the playoffs. This is insane. They've got to regress at some point to the median, right? I know that they, or the mean, I know that they shot the ball better late in the season. But this is crazy to be the number, you know, highest scoring team in the first round, shooting these threes like this. It's insane. But the Bucks in the first half, like the whole game, Giannis was insanely aggressive. Like the one thing you're not going to be able to knock from him is his fight. He's going to fight till the bitter end. He was going to the basket every single time. He was at some points catching the ball in good, you know, post up positions. Um, you know, hit him with a little up and under once or twice, but a lot of it was still just charging him from the top of the key. And I said that that was my biggest thing um, in the bubble and my old critiques of Giannis that that was the flaw in his game, that he just rams in from the top of the key. But what I noticed, you know, in the 2021 season, he smartened up by being more of a screener in the pick and roll as opposed to the ball handler and also catching the ball in the post or in the mid-range area where it's, he's one or two dribbles away from the cup. You know, that standing at the top of the key where the defense can load up and he's susceptible to offensive fouls and they're going to go underneath screens, that shit is not good basketball. It's extremely ugly, quite frankly. I'm, you know, and he's kind of reverted to that these last two years and he shouldn't because he's got Drew Holiday with him. He, you know, it's not like he has the Eric Bledsoe excuse. He's got Holiday with him. They can throw him the ball in decent areas and he can make the game simpler on himself. But he's kind of reverted back to that halfback dive shit. That being said, it was working in the first half. They were up by six. The problem was the Heat had 63 points at half. They were still scoring too much. I got to give a shout out to Gabe Vincent too. I think he's really stepped up in Hero's shoes. He's a better defender than Hero. And he's been knocking down shots and drop coverage. And that's one thing about the Bucks. They are going to be extreme. They were extremely stubborn in this series by sticking to their principles with Brooke Lopez and drop coverage. And Jimmy Butler smoked them in the mid-range. Smoked them. But, and I want to also give Brooke Lopez and Middleton a shout out though. In the first half, they were killing it. Like Brooke Lopez was hitting everything. Chris Middleton was really good in the series, honestly. If you had told anybody that Chris Middleton would play this well in the playoffs, then I would not have thought that the Bucks would lose in five games. Obviously, Giannis missed three games, basically. But man, let's talk about the second half. A complete tale of two quarters. Third quarter, Milwaukee did everything you expect. Played with desperation, played really good defense. They were getting out in transition, getting some shots. Middleton was hitting threes and drop coverage at the end of the quarter. Giannis was just dominating at the rim. Uh, Drew Holiday was making plays on both ends of the floor. Grayson Allen had a four-point play and created a turnover, picking up full court. They were up by 16 after three. I thought this game was done. And even, and I switched it to the Milwaukee feed, the Bally Sports Milwaukee, to hear Lisa Byington and Marcus Johnson. And, you know, Marcus one of the best in the business. Obviously, you know, Will's my friend, he's his grandson, and he ha- he's been on Dime Dropper, by the way. If you want to go check out that episode, my first Dime Dropper featuring. But... Marcus, he's, he's got a great insight, you know, in terms of every era of basketball. He's a real historian, and he's obviously big even in the modern game doing the Bucks games. So hearing the Bucks commentating perspective was much more interesting because they know this team. And I'll tell you what, man, those two did not expect them to lose. Like, their whole tone in the game, they, they, they really thought they had it. And why wouldn't they? You know what I'm saying? This is the championship team. you got Giannis, who's supposed to be the best player on the floor. 
and it looked like they were home free. But I have to say, I have not seen, and we saw this even when they won the championship. Their fourth quarter execution is disastrous. Like, the thing about it is, though, every NBA fan says, we just run ISO in the fourth quarter. Our coach doesn't even run any plays. It's because, first of all, the refs let shit go more in the fourth. Secondly, a lot of times teams are going to switch a lot of screens to make you play one-on-one. And the pressure increases. And your legs start to feel a little heavier. Like, off, it's normal. Your stars got to be stars, though. Y'all always want the, like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, if you think it's so easy, why don't you draw up a set? But you can't, right? Most 99% of you don't even mention what they should do differently in terms of that kind of stuff with offensive execution. You guys think that teams don't run plays. They do. They get blown up. So then your stars got to make plays. Jimmy Butler has made every single kind of play all series long. Middleton, Giannis, and Drew Holiday for the second straight game shat the bed in the fourth bad. Like, they're just taking the first three that they see. The whole team, the first semi-contested three that they see, they're coming off in drop coverage, like Bam's dropping, but it's not like a wide-open shot. Like, the Heat were doing a good job fighting over the screens. The, the mid-range area is kind of open. You, like, I think they were just settling for the first three that they saw very quickly, you know? And when, when teams just, like, shoot three or four threes in a row and miss, like, I think it's just so cringy to me. Like, you just look silly. Like, when you miss three threes in a row... I don't care if they're open, like step in. Cause when you, you better hit it then. Cause you look fucking stupid to me. Cause I don't know. I was just growing up. I was taught differently. And we grew up in an era that this was not a thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like we just keep chucking on, on, on and on. But anyway, the heat were like climbing back in it. And I have to say this about them. They made every single right play. Every single one. Lowry has been so good so far in the playoffs. Kevin Love made multiple threes. Kevin Love. Like, shout out to my man, All Ball. In the Cavs-Knicks preview, he said he still got some left in the tank. I mean, five threes. Five fucking threes. He had 15 and 12. Like, insane. And he's not getting abused completely on the defensive end, which is insane. Uh, I just got to give him a lot of credit. Although, the Bucks did not put him in the action enough, to, in my opinion. Maybe I got to rewatch it and pay more attention. But it, from my memory, they did not put him in the action enough. But... My God, I don't think the Bucks did a good job mismatch hunting either, really, throughout the series. But when you talk about the Heat playing a perfect game, like, they hit every single button that they needed to at the right time. Bam Adebayo was starting to hit the contested mid, and when Bam's hitting the mid, it changes everything about his offensive arsenal. You're right, Phoenix plays Z, that Kevin Love did foul out. But he did what he needed to. You know what I'm saying? He gave him those good minutes until then, to the point where they even got to OT. But Jimmy Butler, I mean, when we talk about willing a team to victory or carrying, I hate using that phrase. Like some of my friends know I hate using that phrase because I do not think you can win alone like that. But if there's anything that looks like carrying or can be used as an example, it's what Jimmy Butler has been doing. Like, I cannot, and against Drew Holiday, he has made Drew Holiday look like an average defender. And people are really getting on Drew Holiday. He got cooked. He got smoked. A lot of this shit are just tough shots, man. Like, Jimmy Butler is just getting buckets. Like, he's turning the corner. He's showing how strong he really is. His mid has been falling. His three ball has been falling. And at some point, do you, you know, just double team him hard every time he catches the ball? 
but they were winning by 16. That's the thing, Milwaukee. Everything was going fine, but the problem is this. It wasn't the defense, as great as Jimmy Butler was. And I think that Eric Spolster made an adjustment. He started playing Bam at the point center and having Jimmy as the screener, and it was fucking with Milwaukee. And I got to get the, the arsenal that Jimmy Butler is scoring uh, with right now. He's setting screens, his movement off the ball. Two you know, years in a row, it's improved so much. And... It, it was just it was just unbelievable it's just been unbelievable what he's doing um but you know you could you could argue that Giannis should have switched on to Butler but it was a pride thing with drew you know he's one of the best defenders in the league he said nah I'm not switching I personally don't think that's what burned them I personally don't think that's what burned them um, but yeah, clearly Drew Holiday is a better on-ball defender than off. But I don't think it's that easy to guard these actions. Like people think it's super fucking easy to, to guard all this shit. It's not, especially with the way Jimmy's playing. And Bam is a good passer. Um, and Jimmy finishes, man. He really finishes around that rim. But overall, Drew Holiday, I have to say this, and I'm a big fan, big fan. But his shot selection is ridiculous sometimes. Like he'll just come up and chuck at a terrible time. And he got away with it in 2021. Like, these guys got away with it in 2021. And I'm really not trying to discredit their ring. But there was a lot of luck involved with Brooklyn's injury and the competition they faced in the next two rounds. Atlanta in 2021, like, no disrespect, but, like, that team is not really a conference finals team. And they, they took advantage of a choking number one Sixers team. And then the Suns, like, let's be honest, they didn't play a real healthy team the whole playoffs. Like, that's why that finals felt so... Not big time, like not nearly as big time as last year. Not to take away from the Bucks, like they're gonna, you have to beat who's in front of you, and that championship will always hang in the rafters. And Giannis will always be a champion, and I'll always treat him as such. But like, context is everything. Um, let's put it so Jimmy Butler was coming back. The big stat you need to know, and Marcus Johnson said it after the game three made field goals in the fourth quarter. Three. Listen, man, I'm going to... This is such a casual take from Phoenix Play Z. He was Eric Bledsoe during their 2020 run. His shooting percentages were ass. Why is it so much about shooting percentage with you guys? Why do you love efficiency so much when he does so many other things? He literally locked up Devin Booker the first two games, and then Chris Paul was getting off, so he locked up Chris Paul. Then he had a game-winning steal, and he still played... He still shot well, and I don't think he shot poorly in every game, He's, and he made big shots. Like, who gives a fuck if you shoot 38%, but you make the big shots to help you win the game? Like, nah, man. Like, nah. I, I don't want to hear that. Eric Bledsoe is not a good offensive player. Like, he's not even on Drew, Drew Holiday's stratosphere, quite frankly. But anyway, point is this. Jimmy Butler made every single big play. Hitting threes, like, he was insane. But Giannis, it was the worst fourth quarter that I can see that I've seen him play in a while, since 2020, honestly. Oh, man. This guy was just charging in at the top. Bam and them were going underneath screens, so he was just ramming in, getting no advantage. When he did post up on the block, he missed a jump hook. He missed his turnaround, and quite frankly, that turnaround over the right shoulder that he was making against the Suns, that has not been there since in the playoffs. I haven't seen it in both years. He has no go-to moves except for that, and then when people bite, he does a nice up and under. It's a nice move, but he has no consistent skill in the post. He doesn't go to it enough. He went, he reverted. He reverted back to that 2020 and 2019 shit. I can't believe it. He was missing 
everything and turning the ball over. Like, he was pressing so hard, you know, kind of like Russ used to do. Like, he was pressing too hard. And, I mean, it was, like, he has no, and the free throws, oh, my goodness. It was putrid. Like, it was terrible. And the only reason I'm not going to give Giannis an excuse with his injury is because we've seen him do this when he's healthy. And the reason he won the ring, like, is he ever going to have an outlier free throw shooting game like that? Like, that was crazy. It was so clutch. It was so clutch. But this is the guy that I've called the best player in the world since last year. And I don't know. I've never liked his game like that. I've never liked his game like that. I love his heart, though. And I love how passionate and how hungry he is. But they also let him get away with murder. It's, it's just... Anyways, right? End of the game. Drew Holiday is sent to the line. I, and first of all, Gabe Vincent's three that he made to cut the game down to one was so big. I can't believe he made that. And then Jimmy Butler... I'm sorry, Drew Holiday makes one out of two. That's such a big miss. Because now they had to have gone for a three. But Jimmy Butler, on that lob, yes, there was a little push-off against Connaughton, but what a pass by Gabe Vincent, first of all, with Giannis defending the inbounds pass, and the finish by Jimmy. I mean, are you kidding me? This guy's possessed. He's fucking possessed. And then the overtime, like, he just wouldn't be denied. Like, that go like fake spin, go uh, rejecting the screen against Drew Holiday that sent him the other direction, like... It was nuts. And the Bucks still couldn't hit. Like, Middleton was actually okay. Like, Chris Middleton was 10 for 24, 4 for 10 from 3, 33 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. You're getting what you need from him. Holiday, though, was 4 for 11. You know, 16 points, 9 rebounds, and 6 assists. And then at the end, and yes, I agree with this. He says, Phoenix plays, he says, there was a push-off because Pat was holding him initially. Yes, he was being held, too. I agree. That's why it was a good play on. Um, but... Like, the Bucks role players, I don't know. Should You let me know in the comments. Should they have gone small with Portis and switched the screens? Because Jimmy Butler was killing them in drop coverage. Like, killing them. Brooke Lopez is going to stay with his principal. Like, you know, he's going to stay with what has worked for him all season. But, man, like, they had to make some kind of change to me. But ultimately, it's the offense that let them down, not the defense. I know they allowed 128 points. But when the second half came around, they had the game. But they three field goals in the fourth? Are you kidding? Your stars got to close. I don't want to hear the excuses. Your stars have to close. Drew Holiday, 4 for 11. 2 for 6 from 3. 9 rebounds, 6 assists. I mean, Giannis had 7 turnovers. 7 turnovers, dude. Like, that's just way too much. It's just way too much. And the free throw shooting was just abysmal. Uh, I can't believe that these guys won. I, I can't believe. And they didn't even get a shot up at the end. They had two timeouts and Bud didn't call any. And Grayson Allen, with the, where's your clock awareness? He didn't even get the shot off. And Middleton should stop and pop for that pull-up. Like, I, I've, I'm so dumbfounded that they've really lost this, man. It's embarrassing. Um, it's interesting seeing Mo, the Milwaukee Bucks, the small market Bucks that don't get enough attention when they win or lose, getting all the heat now for, for losing as a one seed. Again, for me, the most shocking. Because they had Giannis who won a championship. If they had lost in seven or six because Jimmy Butler went nuclear again in Miami because Giannis missed three games, I would understand a little bit. I'd be like, okay, Giannis got hurt. But they lost in five, and they had the lead in both fourth quarters and blew it. Totally blew it. They had a 15-plus point lead in both second halves and blew it. There are no excuses to be made. There are no excuses to be made. 
They didn't even get a shot off. And this, so as far as what the Bucks need to do, Bud needs to go. I mean, he got lucky he won that chip in terms of, because he was, they were complaining about him so much, but he got, he was a little fortunate. It's kind of, so I think he's going to go. Drew Holiday, look, he just got to be smarter. I mean, he's a great player. They'll probably keep him around. Middleton looked great in the playoffs, so I don't know what they're going to do, but they got to make some tweaks to the supporting cast. But here's what it really comes down to for me. Let's let's honestly read the lines first. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do the heat heats part first. Kyle Lowry, he continues to be fantastic, much better than last year's playoffs. Four uh for ten from the field, two for four from three from three, ten points, but he did foul out. Um, a more quiet game from Caleb Martin, only played 21 minutes and scored two points. But the starters, you know, they all played 32 plus minutes. As I said, Kevin Love, he did foul out, but 15 points and 12 rebounds. Max Struess, only eight points, but he had eight rebounds on two for six shooting. Again, the Heat, 17 for 45 from three, 38%. The Bucks shot 42% from three, 14 for 33. Man. Bam Adebayo had a triple-double. I didn't even notice. 20 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. Wow. Eight for 20 from the field. So even though he didn't shoot well from three, he still found another way to contribute. I think the 10 assists are very important because when he was playing point center, he's creating a lot of good looks for Jimmy, especially on those back screens or just those slip screens and all that. And then Gabe Vincent, wow, 22 points. I know he didn't shoot very well, but he made big shots. Like I don't care about the efficiency when he made the shots that he made. And he was playing good D. Nine for 23 from the field, four for 12 from three, but 22 points and six dimes. And then the man, one of the best playoff series I've ever seen. We, I mean, obviously I'm going to do my like list where I rank him and stuff after the season, but holy shit. I got to just say this, man. Jimmy Butler has outplayed Giannis in two out of three series and beaten him in two out of three series as the lower seed. He's outplayed him in the playoffs two years. Ah, nah, last year Giannis was really good in the playoffs still. So I wouldn't say he's outplayed him two years in a row. I'm not going to say Giannis is better than Jimmy Butler, but in this series, he was the better player. No doubt about it. No doubt. And Listen, if you think you would rather have Jimmy Butler in the playoffs than Giannis, t- let me know. I may not I may not disagree, but I still think Giannis is a top three player in the league. I think Jimmy is making a case, though, for top five right now. Holy, like, this is crazy. Two years in a row he's done this. This is just another level. 42 points, eight rebounds, and four assists on 17 for 33 shooting. Three for 10 from deep. Five for nine from the line. So poor shooting nights from three in the line. Um, two steals and a block. His defensive plays, too. On that last possession... He slid in front of Giannis so perfectly to cut off the drive. Incredible. Subtle defensive play that nobody's talking about. Just what a player. His steals late in regulation. Like, this guy, man. I've been, I've been pushing the Jimmy Butler agenda since the bubble. I said he was a top. I said, I said he was like the fourth or fifth best player in the league after the bubble. And then he, he made me look so bad the next year. But then he, he kind of brought it back the last two years. He's the perfect example, and I tweeted this out, of why we need to stop glorifying just the fanciness of the bag, the three ball so much. He proves exactly why Michael Jordan would take a dump on today's league. He doesn't shoot that many threes. He catches the ball in smart areas. He's not nearly as explosive as, as MJ too, but he has a really good first step. He's really good off the ball. He gets to the line a lot. He's really smart. He gets the most out of his talent, and he always plays hard when it counts. And he's so confident. Jimmy Butler is the living proof that confidence and mentality matters a lot of times more than talent, just raw talent. Because when you come to that Paul George-Jimmy Butler comparison, 
There is no comparison anymore. Because Paul George, when you see him in an open run, he looks like a fucking demigod. He looks like he's the one of the most insane prototype players ever. You know what I'm saying? He's got a better handle. He's got more of a bag. He's got a better jumper. He's a good defender. Jimmy Butler does not look more talented than him. He's not more talented than him. He's not as tall either. Not as athletic either. But Jimmy Butler gets the most out of his talent. He makes the game easier instead of harder. Paul George overcomplicates his game. Jimmy Butler has a couple go-to moves. He sticks to them, and it works for him. And he's always playing with that dog in him. You can't measure dog. And it's not in a stat. So that's why these Gen Z bot analytic fools don't like that shit. But when you really played sports, like I've been on courts where I've been terrified because I'm not on the level of certain guys. But I've been on other courts where I think I'm the man. There's levels to this shit. Paul George can go to 99% of courts around the world and he's the fucking man. He's got more dog than everybody out there. But when you compare him to guys like Jimmy, guys like Giannis, he doesn't. He's not consistent enough. And you don't, like with Paul, you don't know what you're going to get. With Jimmy Butler, I know what I'm getting. In the regular season, maybe not. But in the playoffs, I know what I'm getting. He had one terrible series in 2021. But overall, he's pretty crazy in the playoffs. Um, and someone's asking me, do I think Jimmy's better than a healthy Kawhi? No. Healthy Kawhi is a, like, let's not get it twisted after all the things I've said about him. Healthy Kawhi Leonard is a fucking demon uh, in terms of, like, how good he actually is. But wow. Now let's get to the Bucks. What an embarrassment. Let's read the lines before we get into the person that we really need to talk about. Pat Connaughton was 3 for 3, 7 points and 3 rebounds. Bobby Portis only played 17 minutes and shot twice. I think that may have been a mistake. He's more switchable too. That's why I'm saying that. 13 points off the bench for the Bucks. The Heat got 21. So again, the Heat's bench winning out. And that, that was a big thing that they talked about against Atlanta. They don't have the depth. But their depth showed up in the playoffs. Wes Matthews, by the way, I think he made some big shots. Two threes, crucial times. Grayson Allen was the only Buck starter not in double figures. He had eight points. Drew Holiday, as I said, 16 points, nine rebounds, and six assists on four for 11 shooting and two for six from deep. And he hurts his efficiency by shooting the dumbass shots that he does. Brooke Lopez, 18 points, 10 rebounds. I actually think he was really good the last two games. Honestly, they should have probably fed him more in the fourth quarter. 7 for 11 from the field, 3 for 5 from deep, and then Chris Middleton, 33.6 rebounds, 6 assists on 10 for 24 shooting and 4 for 10 from 3. I don't know who they can get that's better than Chris Middleton, but I will say this. I think with a full offseason, I think he'll be this good again. Like, you know, the, the old Chris Middleton, all-star Chris Middleton. Um, but then the guy we really need to talk about, when you look at the stats, 38 points, 20 rebounds on 14 for 27 shooting, and he only shot two threes. Looks great. But seven turnovers. And the 10 for 23 from the line. As well as, let's see what he shot in the fourth quarter. Oh, man, Giannis. I really like Giannis, too. But we don't pull punches here on Dime Dropper. We don't have favorites. So we're going to have to call it how it is, no matter how much people don't like it. Oh, my God. It looks like one of the only shots that was made was from him, but there's a lot of misses on this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. At least eight misses. One for nine in the fourth, I believe. And in overtime, he was actually two for three. One for nine in the fourth. The way he was attacking. This was not it. This is Giannis's 84 magic moment. 
He's had some real big playoff blemishes to me that people have undersold, like the 2019, like the 2020, even though he was injured. But they won the game that he was hurt against Miami. Giannis reverted back to his old ways for me. And last year we gave him a pass because of Middleton being out. And I still called him the best player in the world, even though it was, I said, you're splitting hairs with him and Curry. But I have to say, I'm going to retract. I am. I can't call somebody that was left wide open for mid-range shots and can't hit the best player in the world and missing those free throws because it hurts when it comes to closing. That's what I said a couple episodes ago. They needed Holiday and Middleton to be more clutch. I think Middleton was fine, even though in the fourth he wasn't good. But I think in the game overall, you got what you needed from him. Holiday, no. But Giannis, I mean, I can't excuse him because he wanted to dominate the ball so much in the fourth and he let the team down and the fans down. But the thing about Giannis is he doesn't need to prove anything to the fans because he got in the chip. So he's like cemented there. It's okay. But it happens and we just need to acknowledge that he didn't play well enough. And he's the biggest, to me, the biggest reason they lost this game. The biggest reason. Because he's the man. And so for me... He hasn't, this is the honest truth, and I was listening to the guys on Locked On Bucks, shout out to those guys, talking about it, and they said it, like, Giannis kind of regressed this year with his offense. His passing continues to get better, but he had none of that stuff we saw against the Suns, none of those go-to moves in the post, besides that turnaround over his right shoulder, which was not going. His mid-range was so broke, and I know it hurts, like, you know, uh, your back, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the back hurts shooting a jump shot, but he was missing shots throughout the season. People had warned me about his shooting falling off. And I was, you know, really entertaining that he was better, like he may have been better than Garnett. Are you kidding me? Like if Garnett played in this era with this much spacing, with a center stretching out the defense 30 feet, like what McGrady said was facts and everybody got so emotional about it. What Tracy McGrady said was facts. If Giannis played in the 2000s and there was another power forward there sitting at the rim, or a center just camping at the rim and less spacing, he would still be a beast, but he would not, I don't think he would lead a team to a championship ever, you know, what I'm, unless he got a mid-range or a post game. You know what I'm saying? He, and he's not good enough from the line. He's a monster, but this era completely favors him. It completely favors him. And then if you want to go further back, he cannot do what he just ram into people. That's offensive fouls in 60s, 70s, and 80s. So and not, I'm not doing the whole Giannis wouldn't be nothing in the past. He would be an all-star superstar in every era to me because he's such a specimen. But he is lucky he plays today. I'm going to just say that. Because the, having a center stretch the defense out 35 feet when you all you do is barrel into people for the most part. Nah, man. So my best player in the world, and I think Jokic has a chance, but I don't like the way teams target him defensively and he doesn't get off the ground, is the chef. He might be in the twilight of his prime. He might be kind of declining. Like this year you saw he wasn't as good defensively as last year to me. And he was getting tired at the end of games more. But he's kind of in that 2013 Kobe, 2020 LeBron stage of his career. And there is no prime Kobe or LeBron to be better than him. There's Giannis in his prime. But he's not like he's not like those guys. There's prime Jokic. But he's not Kobe and LeBron. I got to go with the chef. He's mastered his game. I'm big on experience. He's super experienced. He makes everyone better. He's battle-tested. He's still the offensive nuclear weapon, arguably the greatest to ever do it on that end of the floor. And he's he, in the playoffs, he obviously improves like any superstar does, any all-time great does. The biggest question mark for me with Steph that I'm going to keep my eye on continuously in this playoffs is can he repeat his defensive effort, or not the effort, just his defensive ability staying in front and being physical when teams try to go at him, 
as the rounds continue. Because this year I've noticed, and closing games, those have been the two things against Steph that I say, yeah, Giannis is still the best player in the world. It's still my best friend in the world. Now I'm going with the chef. It might change at the end of this year. And I see a comment. Is this the chance for Embiid to do it? Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. There has never been a better chance for Philly to do this. Boston's series got delayed. And Milwaukee's out. And there's no team in the West to me that should beat them. There's not. And as for you, so Chef Curry is my, my best player in the league, right, in the world. And he's been the best player in the world for me the last three years. I'm admitting it now. 2021, he was the best because I'm still taking him over KD, even though you can make an argument. And by the way, it's not clear cut. You can say Giannis or Jokic. I, have no, I don't have a problem with it. It's not clear cut to me like it once was with other guys. But last year he was, I mean, he won the championship and won finals MVP. What more do you want? And then th- this year, he obviously in the regular season, he, wasn't, he was still fantastic. But the Warriors didn't have a good regular season. But right now they're up 3-2, which brings me to the next game, which is the Warriors and the Kings. But before I get into that, I want to comment on Giannis's quote because I'm hearing comments about it. Giannis, I understand. It seems like, and my friend uh, Zach from, uh, go check out his podcast. He's a very knowledgeable fan, um, The Z Show. He said that when Giannis addressed him, you know, Eric... Giannis' accent is so funny, man. I love listening to him talk. But he seemed like he had some... Um, by the way, Danny from LA, please no spoilers, man. Um, I'm recording the game. I'm going to catch up in the commercials when I'm off here, so please don't update me. I don't want updates. Um, but let me just say this about what Giannis said. He clearly seemed like he had a little bit of history with that reporter. And he caught him at a time where Giannis, as competitive as he is, is probably really frustrated with the fact that he just lost as a number one seed. A season in which they were expected to win the championship went wrong. They lost to the eighth seed. Only six teams it's ever happened. Come on. You know? We got to give the Heat credit. They made every big play possible. When he was asked, is this season a failure? He got a little upset. And he was saying, like, you always ask me this. Is it just a failure because we didn't win? You know, there's a lot more to be taken from the journey from losing than just calling things a failure. I completely agree with what he's saying in that respect, that sometimes we are so focused on the result that we overlook the big picture, that these guys are improving in their craft every single year. They're with each other making lifelong experiences, lifelong bonds every single year, becoming better men, becoming better basketball players and pros. You know, these are things that happen behind the scenes. They, you learn from losing. Like I remember Kobe talked about this, that I don't just see it as failure all the time. It's not that black and white. I totally agree, agree with that. But when Giannis starts talking about MJ and is he a failure because he lost nine times in his 15-year career, the reason why the season is absolutely a failure, if you ask any Bucks fan, they would agree, is you were the number one seed. You were the best record in the league, bro. When Michael Jordan was the number one seed, he never lost. That's part of why we hold such hold him in such high regard. You were the number one seed, dude. And I know you missed three games. But Giannis didn't make an excuse about that, which I respect extremely about him. And I love I love Giannis. Like, don't get me wrong. But it's a complete failure because it's not about the regular season. It's about, for you, for a team like you, it's championship or bust. You're the number one seed and you've already won a ring. And you lost not in seven games, but in five games in the first round. You're one of only six teams to lose to an eight seed. It was, it was a failure, man. And it's okay. 
I understand that. You, and the way this has been twisted by media and fans is crazy. Like, people are saying they're calling Giannis a failure. First of all, I've been around people that have made it to D1. I know how hard it is to even do that. To make the NBA, people don't understand how good these guys are. So if you're not a failure. You're a success in life if you ever made it to the NBA or pro or D1 to me because I respect these kind of things. You were a finals MVP, a top 75 player. You're absolutely not a failure. And Giannis came from the slums of Greece. Like this guy is a success story. He will never be a failure. He's the greatest winner in life of all. But the team and he failed in their goal this season. It's not that hard. And we making it seem like, you know, all these, they were so unfair. Dirk did not get this sympathy in 2007. He got roasted badly. And I get it. Giannis is one. I get it. And I get that he missed games. But come on, if you, you cannot sit down with me and watch the fourth quarter and tell me that he's absolved of blame. You cannot. If we're going to hold him to the standard and compare him to guys like Garnett and Dirk, we have to have the same energy. We have to. You want to call him, oh, he's already the second best power forward of all time. He clears this guy. Like, these, these Gen Z bots, like, you, you can't do that and then make these same excuses. You can't make the excuses, man. You can't. And I'm happy that Giannis didn't make any, but I disagree with his assessment. And I think Shaq hit the nail on the head last night. And that's the thing. You might disagree with my stance, and that's okay. But I grew up with Kobe and Shaq. Those were my idols as a kid, like in terms of sports figures from individuals. I didn't love the Lakers, obviously, and I became a Clipper fan, but we never had a player with that influence in the city, you know? Especially when we had Chris Paul, it was a little different. But in my early days, Kobe and Shaq were larger than life. So I had a level of reverence for them. And I still do. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I really still do. And so when Shaq talks, no matter if he's wrong or not, or being a casual, I always listen. Always. Because, again, the, you have to understand how good he was. You know what I'm saying? He understands what it takes to win championships. And during the playoffs, his analysis goes from sounding like he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about because he's not watching any games because he's so busy to he knows what he's talking about because he's watching the games and he's focusing on the stars and their responsibilities. And that's where Shaq is, the, is a good analyst, when he talks about the stars and what you need from them. That's where he's great. And when he's watching the games in the playoffs, you can tell that. So he was spot on with what he said, completely. On to the Warriors and the Kings. I'm probably going to have to end this live early. You know what? Let me just get through the other ones. Knicks and Cavs. I'm very disappointed in Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, and, Je and Aaron, uh, all four of those guys. Donovan Mitchell, we need to stop giving him a pass. Three years in a row now, he's not played well in the playoffs when it, in the end, when he's eliminated. It's, his shot profile is too tough. He shoots a lot of threes. He doesn't get to the mid-range enough in the playoffs. And he just goes cold against physical defense and against high-level defenses. Now, the big problem with Cleveland was they had no shooters, none. You know, nothing. Chetty Osmond, but he wasn't good enough defensively. Okoro played defense, but he couldn't shoot. And then they're playing with two bigs, none of which can shoot a mid-range, and their touch around the rim is suspect, and they each have no go-to move. I, I cannot lie. The reason the Knicks mainly embarrassed them so bad is because Jared Allen and Evan Mobley got sunned by Robinson badly. He was destroying them on the boards. He was making them look like Wilt Chamberlain out there. It was crazy. It was crazy. Like the first half, and again, credit to the Knicks. They were like, I'm, we're going to step on their throats. But, and there's always a moment in series when you know a team is better. And that came in the second half for me when I realized how hard it was for Cleveland to score and get stops. Because they would get a stop because their defense is not bad, but they could not rebound. No rebounds, no rings, and it was more than personified in this series. The Knicks, everything that they said in the preview, all ball and Fabian, 
came true. They dominated on the glass. Josh Hart dominated on the glass. The wing defense hurt them because Brunson was cooking their ass. And Randall, who had a good first half, as did R.J. Barrett, who played so well the last three games, got injured, though, Randall. So you hope he's ready for game one against um, Miami. But Jalen Brunson, for the second straight postseason, outplayed Donovan Mitchell on two different teams. I ain't going to lie to you. I'm taking Brunson now. Over the course of their careers, no. I test is like Donovan Mitchell looks better, but Jalen Brunson has the in-between game that Mitchell doesn't, and he posts guards up. Like This dude was hitting those turnarounds over the left shoulder against Garland all series. Uh, he was so composed. Like He plays at his own pace. I think Donovan Mitchell gets more easily sped up, and he held his own defensively too. Like They tried to put Brunson in the pick and roll so much, and he held his own. But speaking of holding their own, Robinson and Hartenstein, like, they just dominated. And Josh Hart as well. I think he did a great job on Donovan Mitchell. But the Knicks, and by the way, what the fuck is Adam Silver doing putting four games on a weekday? I've never seen that in my entire life. The most games they put on a weekday is three, not four. So Adam Silver, like, he, again, he's just lost the plot. He's a fucking alien loser. But the Knicks, I mean, it was so hard for Cleveland to score. They would hedge the screens, and Evan Mobley's reads in the four-on-three were garbage. And you got to give credit to Mitchell Robinson, because he would do such a good job of playing two at once. He would make Mobley think before throwing that lob. And Mobley's push shots, his floaters, his jump hooks, like nowhere to be found. Nowhere. And in this game, we finally got you know, Emmanuel quickly. He hasn't had an efficient game, I feel like, but we got him scoring. 19 points for him. Obi Toppin in the second half was massive. The threes he was making. He had two threes in the game. They were so timely. Five for ten. And another thing the Knicks did, they ran with these boys. They got the rebounds and they ran. It was an absolute coaching masterclass from Tibbs in this series. The Knicks, this might be the best Knicks team of my time watching basketball. I posed the question to Knicks fans on Twitter the other day about 2013 versus this team. I think the, the advantage of 2013 was they had prime mellow, peak mellow who was a top five player in the league. They don't have that kind of player now. And they had Tyson Chandler, who I think was better than Robinson. But this team has more depth, and I think that they have more weapons. I think that offense, their second best score was J.R. Smith, and he shot the bed in the playoffs. And Raymond Felton was like their third best creator. This team has more options to go to. And the way they beat up the Cavs physically, like they bullied them. They bullied them. So I have to give a shout-out to the Knicks. They showed why playoff basketball is extremely different than regular basketball. The Cavs had the best defense in the league, but they did not have the wing defenders. Okoro could not stay on the court, and that made a difference in the series. And so I got to give credit to Brunson. He didn't shoot perfectly, but 23 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, 8 for 22 from the field. He was amazing. Josh Hart played 47 minutes, 47 in this game. 4 points, 12 rebounds. Mitchell Robinson, 13 points, 18 rebounds. 18. That's a Bill Russell stat line. And he had three blocks and two steals. And Brunson had, uh, no, I'm sorry, not Brunson. He was turning the ball over a little bit. I read the turnovers instead of blocks there. But the Knicks, 17 offensive rebounds to the Cavs, four. If you want to know anything that decided the series, it's that. And I want to say this about Mitchell and Garland. They picked it up in the second half, but you can't just play well in one half in a game with under elimination. They were clearly the worst team, clearly. So the Cavs, you bring back those four guys this offseason, but you need to get a better bench. They were all absolutely putrid. You need to get some three-point shooters, hopefully some 3 and D guys on the wings, which are those are the hardest guys to find these days, even though there's some out there, but they're tough. Every team wants those guys. And then Allen, 
I don't know if he's going to develop another, you know, more of an offensive game, but Mobley has to develop a mid-range. He has to. Because you can't have two, even in, literally, even in other eras, you did not have two bigs that couldn't shoot at all. Your power forward used to be able to stretch it to 18 feet or 12 feet. He can't with any consistency. You need to have a mid-range in there to make the, keep the defense honest. But let's read the lines for the Cavs. A grand total of 19 bench points in this game. Okoro actually had a good game. I don't know why he only played 20 minutes. I mean, the defense doesn't respect him, but he was 4 for 5 from the field and 2 for 3 from deep. So if there's any game where he earned to play, it's that one. Um, but the starters, Lavert, he was actually decent in this game. 17 points, 5 rebounds on 6 for 13 shooting and 4 for 7 from deep. But Jared Allen and Evan Mobley both shot 2 for 6, had a combined 10 points, had a combined 13 rebounds. Jared Allen, I don't like using these kind of words, but this is what I love about the playoffs, though. We don't get to see these things in the regular season. We don't get to watch these kind of teams every night. So you don't get to see their flaws. And one of my favorite sayings that I always have is, you, all your flaws get exposed in the playoffs. And we get to watch every game. Jared Allen is soft for an NBA player. He does not box out hard enough. He gets bullied easily. And he has no go-to move. The, 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 no, no go-to move isn't as big a deal. Because DeAndre Jordan didn't have a good go-to move. But I'm not going to say DJ was soft. Jared Allen got mauled by Robinson in this series. And he's an all-star. One-time all-star. Robinson's not. No comparison who I'd rather have after seeing that series. And then Mobley, who's one of our guys. You know, he's an SC guy. I love him. But he needs to improve, man. He, he was skinny and he got bullied as well. He got to hit the weight room. But his main thing is he needs a mid-range and a go-to right-handed jump hook with consistency. If he gets a jump hook with the right hand and then a turnaround over his right shoulder, I've seen him make some, but it's not consistent. A lot of NBA players can do a post move here and there, like Bam Adebayo, like him, but they're not consistent enough with it. Giannis, the same. They're not consistent enough with it. Garland. I actually think Garland was better than Mitchell in this series. First playoff series, he was okay. He fought really hard. I really like Garland. Garland. But he needed to play better in the New, in the, in the New York games. Um, like game one, he wasn't good enough. Game three wasn't good enough. But the other three games, I honestly think he was okay. Darius Garland, 21 points. Let's see what he actually averaged in the playoffs. Because he averaged 21.6 points in the regular season. But in the playoffs, because his splits went down a little bit shooting percentage-wise, but 20 points. So, like, he actually wasn't that much worse. Let's look at Mitchell, though. So Mitchell had 28 points in this game, 7 rebounds and 5 dimes on 11 for 26 shooting, 3 for 12 from deep. So again, he shoots too many threes, and when his three is not falling, he doesn't quit. That's been my biggest issue with Mitchell for several years now. So let's talk about, so especially, so I don't even think he's better than Brunson. He's definitely not better than Booker. Let's not, let's not even go there, okay? I don't even want to hear that. Let's look at Mitchell's stats for the series, because again, and, and I love how, bad he felt about it because that just shows me how much he cares i really i like i'm a big fan of mitchell's actually he's and I'm, I'm happy that he's in cleveland so i get to root for him now instead of utah but i love the how accountable he had kept him, he held himself so mad respect for him but he averaged 28 points in the regular season he only averaged 23 in the postseason he shot 72 percent from the line in the postseason even though he shot 87 percent in the regular season he averaged more assists actually in the playoffs though three more almost three more he shot 38.6% from three in the playoff in the regular season, 29 in the playoffs. He shot 48% from the field in the regular season, only 43 in the playoffs. So everything went down besides assists. 
he was a complete letdown in his first postseason as a Cav. We'll see if he bounces back. I don't think Donovan Mitchell's ever gonna be lead, ever gonna lead a team to a championship because nobody that's six three or under as the best scorer will ever lead their team to a championship except for Steph Curry. But the Knicks, I gotta give them the props. R.J. Barrett again had such a good game. 21 points on 7 for 13, shooting and 2 for 4 for deep. And yeah, Mitchell Robinson to me that was the player of the game. But let's go to the final ones, the final games. Uh, the Celtics and the Hawks. What a performance in Game 4 by Trey Young and John Collins. It was amazing. Without DeJounte Murray, Trey Young was killing in the pick and roll. Horford was making some amazing plays in drop coverage. He had a stretch in that game where he was lights out. Jalen Brown was awesome. But Jason Tatum, and he took accountability after the game. He said he was complacent. He said he was lazy. He said that he did not play well enough. Did not He took it for granted. He was going through the motions, shooting way too many threes. Just He did not play with any hunger in that game, and they paid for it. Trey Young, in my opinion, with that game, kind of redeemed himself from last year because against a really good team, 3-1 down, odds stacked against you without DeJounte Murray, he was cooking. He was cooking. You know, against Jalen Brown and Tatum, I think he was having more success in that pick and roll. Derek White and Marcus Smart are the guys that have done an amazing job on him. But I think Missoula had a bad coaching game that game. Like, he did not play Derek White enough, and Horford sat out for way too long. Because the Time Lord's going to drop, and sometimes young uh, Trey Young can take advantage of that. But John Collins having such a good shooting game, that to me is what, you know, really helped him. And, uh, and he really ended the playoff shooting well from three of those last two games, but I still don't think Collins is a pick-and-pop guy. He has a decent right-hand jump hook, and he has a decent game in, like, the mid-range area, like, where he can turn and face, and he's stupid athletic. But I think that the Hawks want to pick-and-pop four. He's not that guy, so go make a trade then because John Collins' potential is being held back to me. He's a, pl- he's a player, man. He really is. I would love if the Clippers could get him. Um, but you got to mix up his looks. He shot well in the end. And I think, you know, if you're him, yes, you still keep working on your three-point shot. But I want him to get showcased in other ways because I think that he's a better player than just a pick-and-pop guy. He had 22 points, though, in game four and five. Nine for 18 from the field and four for nine from deep. I also thought DeAndre Hunter was really good, and he played good D on uh, Tatum, too. 13 points on five for 11 shooting and three for five from deep. Bogdanovich also had such a good series to me. Such a good series. He shot 55.6% in the playoffs, 45.5% in the playoffs. He averaged the same amount of points because for whatever reason, his free throw percentage was 12% less. But I thought he was really good. And he had 18 points, 6 boards, and 5 assists on 66% shooting, 6 for 9 from the field, and 3 for 6 from deep in Game 5. And Sadiq Bey also had a great game in Game 5 with 12 points on 4 for 9 shooting and 2 for 3 from deep. Hawks shot 47% from the field and 46% from deep. And Trey Young hitting that 30-foot game winner. Do you think the Celtics should have hard doubled him when he was coming across half court? You let me know, but that little sidestep that he does um, where he looks like he's going to go right and then he just kind of you know sidestep to his left. He creates great move to create separation. What a shot. Ice cold, man. He made big play after big play in that game. Big, It was amazing. I, I'm happy for him. But Jalen Brown, you know, he had 35.7 boards and 5 assists on 15 for 23 shooting and 4 for 7 from 3. My biggest issue with Jalen is he looked like he wanted no part of the end of the game. He kept looking for other players to pass to. He shot one time going to the basket. He did not shoot any pull-ups, and his jumper was falling. That's the thing that prevents Jalen Brown to me from being a true 1B to Tatum. It, he kind of is, but... I still think Tatum's the man. 19 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists from Tatum, but 8 for 21 from the field and 1 for 10 from 3. Like, this is terrible. It's crazy because Horford had 3 points, but his defense was so good, like, in that game to me. 
Marcus Smart had 10 points on 4 for 8. Brogdon had 14 points on 6 for 12 from the field. And the Time Lord had 10 points and 7 boards on 5 or 6 from the field. But it didn't matter because they lost 119 to 117. And then last night, they ended the series. I only got to watch the second half. Um, it was another really high-scoring game, very similar to the other two games in Atlanta. And I got to say, this series was pretty entertaining considering what we thought it was going to be. Games 3, 4, 5, and 6 were pretty good. And I thought Trey Young in the first half was cooking in the pick and roll. Like He came out scoring and then uh, facilitating, creating good looks for other guys. John Collins again had a really good game. Um, but Tatum and Brown brought it. And there was a point in the, in the second half where they were just like, we're going to end this shit. And one thing I noticed about the Hawks is they knew that Al Horford was going to switch. So they tried to put him in the action way more in this game. And they were getting some success. Like Trey Young, Horford cannot guard Trey Young. And DeJounte Murray, the one thing is he, he finally had a bad game. He was amazing all series, but he didn't, he finally had a bad game. Um, not that bad though. Four, that's kind of an exaggeration, honestly. 14.7 rebounds and 11 assists. He was cold till the fourth. Uh, he started getting going, but, but neither Trey Young nor DeJounte could end the game well. They, they ran out of gas. DeJounte Murray had five, was 5 for 13 from the field and 1 for 4 from deep. Uh, and Trey Young, I think, was 1 for 11 in the second half. So he got totally taken away. And you got to give credit to Derek White and Marcus Smart. They were beasts. Derek White's defense in this series, like Kiana, what she said in the preview, was facts. He was amazing. And his offense was good, too. But the Jays had had enough. They ended it when it was time to end it. Jalen Brown was amazing getting to the rim this series, knocking down threes, contested or open. His off-ball movement, as I mentioned so many times, has really improved. And Jason Tatum, he made up for his bad game. He was, he was really good, and he did it on both ends, too. That's one thing I just absolutely love about Tatum these last two years. He has really done it on both ends. And that putback dunk he had was just filthy. The threes that they were making, big time. The Hawks season is over, and in my opinion, they showed some potential here at the end with DeJounte Murray, with Trey Young, and with Quinn Snyder. So I think you run it back. I think Collins is the only one you got to figure out what to do something with. But hopefully they get a bigger leap from DeAndre Hunter next season. Um, and I think that they will be better. I think Quinn Snyder is the right coach for this team. And Okongwu, in my opinion, should start next year over Capella. I think it's time to move in that direction. He's awesome. Six points and 11 boards for him in his last game of the season. The Hawks took the series to six. I think that that is better than people expected. So neither of us, none of us were right in the preview. Hawks fan TV said Hawks in seven. Keon and I said Celtics in five. It should have been Celtics in five, but Tatum wanted to lag. We'll see if that has long-term implications on the Sixers series, given that they got three extra days of rest. But, well, it may have been four or five days extra rest. I don't know. But, and by the way, I know I still haven't talked about Sixers and Nets, and I'm not going to do it right now because I'm starving. i got to go get some food. But I will talk about Sixers and Nets before the Celtics series with them begins. I still haven't talked about Nuggets and Wolves, and I don't know if I'm going to get the chance because the Nuggets and the Wolves, um, are, and the Nuggets and the Suns are playing tomorrow, which sucks. And I, didn't, I haven't watched all th games three, four, and five of that series. So we'll see. I'm going to try my best. Even if, I do, even if I recap the Suns game against the Nuggets first, I'm still going to watch some of those Wolves games just to talk about the Wolves a little bit and how their series season ended because, again, I want this to be a library of basketball. Like, when you come back in years from now to see what I was saying in the moment, get a picture of what the league was like at the moment. And I want to always talk about these teams. So I always have my own receipts. Uh, and obviously how Denver beat them. But, yeah, DeJounte Murray... You probably needed a more efficient shooting night from him. Bogdanovich, again, was great shooting the ball. Five for eight from the field, 12 points, but one for four from deep. Uh, the Hawks shot 43% from three in this game. Same with the Celtics, too. 43% exactly. 
The Celtics, though, shot 50% from the field. Hawks, 47. Um, DeAndre Hunter had 20 points in this game. It was awesome. 20 points on 7 for 17 shooting, 4 for 8 from 3. Collins had 16 points on 6 for 8 shooting and 3 for 4 from 3. Capella had a double-double with 10 and 10. Trey Young had a double-double with 30 and 10, but he was 9 for 28 from the field and 4 for 12 from 3. I like that he was aggressive, but he just kind of ran out of gas and lost to superior players. Malcolm Brogdon, he was so good in this series for me. So good. Um, in the series, he shot 48%. I'm sorry. 45% from the field. He didn't shoot the ball well from the three. He didn't shoot as well from the field, but 13 points, four rebounds, four assists. It's funny because if you look at those stats, all his shooting splits are down, so you might think he was disappointing in the series. But I just think he's so good. So maybe I just think he's good, you know? Um, I think he was good in this series, though, regardless of what he averaged in the regular season. 17 points for him in the closeout. 6 for 13 from the field. 1 for 5 from 3. He shot really well from 3 in the regular season, so you want that to get going. Time Lord and Grant Williams only got 17 minutes in this game. Sam Hauser, I mean, I shouldn't say set only for Grant because he hasn't been playing. Only 4 for Hauser. As for the starters, they all played 30 minutes or more. Horford, I thought, was big. Even though on defense he was getting abused a bit, he had a double-double, 10 points, 12 boards against his former team, four assists on four for eight shooting, and he has two steals and three blocks. He has such good hands and amazing timing. Like, he makes such big defensive plays that don't go in the stat sheet. Like, his timely double teams, like, just these little plays that he makes. And then Derek White actually finally had a bad shooting game. Seven points on three for nine shooting and one for five from deep. But I thought Marcus Smart made big shots in the fourth, too. Four, I'm sorry, two for five from three, six for 12 from the field for him. So 50% from the field, 40% from deep. 22, four, and four for Marcus Smart. Uh, he was really solid. He was a plus 11, which was tied for the highest of any Celtic. And then the Jays, they had enough. Jalen Brown, 32 points, 13 for 25 from the field, so 52%, and an astonishing 6 for 8 from deep, 75%. To me, Jalen Brown was the best player in the series. He was the most consistent. I got to give it to him. Ended his former team in his hometown. Tatum, though, maybe the player of this game. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists, 0 turnovers. So, yeah, he's my player of the game for that one. 11 for 20 from the field, so 55%. And 40% from three, four for 10, four for four from the line. The Celtics shot 16 for 17 from the line. The Hawks, 17 for 22. The only guys that missed free throws were Bogdanovich, who missed two. That's ridiculous. One for three. Got to be better than that. And the box score. Oh, and Okongwu, who was 0 for three. So the Celtics win it 128 to 120. The Hawks will run it back, I think. You know, there's been rumors about Trey Young being traded. I, I wouldn't do that. I would definitely not do that. Um, I would just see what you can get for Collins. But maybe run it back just with Quinn Snyder and a couple of marginal tweaks on the bench. I don't know. But that team's ceiling is not that high, in my opinion. It's, it's a first-round exit, most likely. I think the, the thing is, you can't... The, the problem with the Hawks this season was the regular season. They didn't have a good enough seed, so they had to play Boston. Um, but anyway... The Celtics and the Sixers, this is going to be amazing. I mean, chapter three of the Embiid-Tatum era Celtics rivalry with the Sixers, but this is a rivalry that has stretched since the 60s, and it's one of the best in the history of the game. I can't wait to see it. The fan bases passionately hate each other, but the Sixers haven't won since Andrew Tony 82. So, I mean, the Celtics have owned them, and I think they have a psychological edge. Now, the thing is, the Sixers have had the rest, and James Harden's playing well, and they played really well in the first round, and Embiid has the chance 
to become the best player in the world here. But I think Harden's going to be neutralized. I think Maxi's going to be neutralized relatively. Embiid has to dominate, but how healthy is he? It's a big question. Um, I think the extra rest has been great for him, but I got the Celtics in seven with home court. I am pushing it to seven because I do think the Celtics can be a little fatigued, but they are experienced and they have that, as I said, the psychological edge to me. And this is where Tatum proves again that he's better than Embiid because he always does in the playoffs. I'm telling y'all. Uh, even though Embiid's a beast in the regular season, he can't stay healthy in the playoffs. That matters to me. Anyway, Nixon Heat is going to be hilarious. Talk about resuming old rivalries, resuming that late 90s rivalry. Um, and we saw that in 2012. Obviously, that was different. The Knicks, the Heat beat the shit out of him. This one's going to be great. One for the ages. The Knicks really got home court advantage in the second round as a five seed. That's hilarious. And the same might happen for the Warriors as a six seed next round gonna be crazy man but that's you know if you want to go to the championship as a, and win the championship as one of those teams that had to win on the road i think that the rockets had to win four series on the road when they did it that's nuts celtics had to win four three series on the road when they did it so the knicks getting that home court for this next round it's gonna be big and that for that reason i'm going knicks in seven i also think they're better defensively and they're tough but the thing is people are thinking that josh hart's gonna give jimmy butler a much harder time because he's bigger Maybe, but I don't know, man. When you cook Drew Holiday and even are cooking Giannis, I think Jimmy's gonna get his. They have to do the, They might have to just hard double his ass. But I don't know what it is about the Knicks' depth. I trust it more, and I think the main reason is I think the Heat's shooting from three will regress to the median or the mean. And the Knicks, I just like the depth they have. I think they're gonna go to the conference finals for the first time in my time watching ball. Gonna be amazing. But anyway, that's it for me tonight, guys. Please subscribe uh, if you haven't, and please. Please, please comment. Comment on the video right now when it ends. You can also find this episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The timestamps will be there um, if you only want to watch a specific part if you came late. Please comment on the video right now because the algorithms are going well. Probably not going to be live tonight after the Laker game. Um, so I think I'll be live tomorrow night or Sunday. Probably Sunday. Peace. Have a good one. Enjoy the games tonight.